0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our first broad podcast from Region 2. I'm your host, President of Region 2, Jane Tuttle, and we're so excited to welcome today for our very first podcast, our guest, Kelly Farrow. And Kelly is a former student of mine who's extremely brilliant, and I'm so proud of her. She's setting the world on fire, both as a, an NP and the Uh, advanced practice nurse working in infectious disease, um, precepting our students, and she's especially doing great things around the whole NP role. So we're gonna be talking with her about that today.
1: Hello, thanks for having me, Jane.
0: Appreciate it. (laughs) I'd like to start by asking you, how did you get involved with the nurse practitioner community and why did you decide to become an NP?
1: Well, it's, um, my story's kind of not very typical. I was working as a a product manager for a surgical device company. My first degree was in business management and I was taking products into the operating room and I found myself saying, gee, you know, if I I won the lottery, I would just love to go back to school to be a nurse. Um, I just, I loved the interaction that the operating room nurses had with the patients, both pre-op and post-op. And it was, um, really very inspirational to, to be able to work with them when we were launching new products, trying to figure out where those devices should be marketed. And um, it, I realized, uh, you know, spoiler alert, I did not win the lottery, um, but I realized if I made some changes uh, in my life, I would be able to go to nursing school. And U of R had a fantastic accelerated program for people that already had a bachelor's of science. And as I was in going through that program, I I could tell that I wanted to do more, um, that I would be getting another degree. And I was trying to figure out what that was going to look like. And I had to do a lot of soul searching. And I got some really good advice from one of my friend's mothers, who is actually a physician. She's a pediatrician herself, and because I went through a period where I was thinking in nursing school, should I go back to med school? Um, What is it that I want to do? And she really boiled it down very simply. She said, what do you want to accomplish? What do you want to get done with your patients? And that's how you should figure out what you want to to do. And I I knew that I wanted um, a close relationship with my patients. I wanted to be able to work in primary care. I wanted the ability to um, have prescriptive privileges to, to take care of my patients but it wasn't necessarily that I had to to go back to med school. I didn't want to do surgery on people. Um, And she actually had had, um, coached one of her, for her own children to, to become a nurse practitioner. Um, And they ended up choosing a different route. They ended up going more towards the business route, but that's what, um, you know, her recommendation was. Um, So that really, um, you know, you know, way you know it influenced me in a very good way and i realized i i, I think i want to be a family nurse practitioner and uh, that's sort of what what led me led me into the profession and it's it's been an incredibly rich um opportunity for for me to grow and get involved in different things i do a lot of primary care in in the hiv clinic at strong um, but i also do a lot of specialty care in hiv and um, and that's been um, really wonderful because being a specialty clinic, we kind of function, I almost say, like the old school kind of micro practice where I'll have anywhere from 30 minutes to 60 minutes with my patients if I need to. And many of them are doing so well. Um, we really focus on a lot of general primary care. So
0: it's, it's, it's been great. Great. Can you tell us about one of your most impactful cases?
1: Yeah. Um, you know it's hard to do uh, because it, there's been so many cases that I feel, uh, for different reasons, have been very impactful. Um, I hope to the patients, but but also to me. Um, you know, one example would be, I once had a patient who came from out of town, two hours away. Um, they were a patient with HIV, and they were upset because their T cells weren't higher, and they felt they needed to be on a different regimen. And I looked over the records that had come with the patient and you know, really the goal of treatment is an undetectable viral load. There's no med we can give to just raise someone's T cells. But I think the nursing part of it, I always tell people is you really put the patient in the center and then you kind of integrate the best evidence around the patient and their preferences. So I I didn't feel anything medically was being mismanaged with this patient, but they'd come all this way. So I, I wanted to make the best, best of the time we had together and just sat there, you know, talking to them, finding out, well, why is it, what is it you're worried about with your T cells? What, what's, um, what are you feeling? Um, what's going on? And then they described to me how, how tired they'd been, how they have a lot of pain. Um, they just don't feel like they have as much get up and go. And We were able to make a few very minor changes, one of which was to put them on a long-acting daily NSAID, which they said was, like, life-changing for them. They hadn't been Mm -hmm. taking any medication um, for pain, and just this one once-a-day long-acting NSAID, really, they were like, it was like a miracle. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing we did was um, we ended up finding an early stage one lung cancer in this patient just by applying the guidelines for this patient for routine um, screening. Uh, they did not have any specific pulmonary symptoms. And, um, you know, we, we were able to find that. They were able to surgically have it removed. And um, all of that was just from doing, you know, sort of the, the nursing model. And since then uh, they have been able to go back to their previous provider who was much closer. And, you know, it, it wasn't about splitting between where they were getting care or, or. Um, you know, that we're, we're better. I mean, we were able to kind of collaborate. And, you know, the patient reached back out to me like a year later and said, I just found out I'm going to be a grandparent. And I want to thank you so much for, you know, finding my lung cancer or helping me find my lung cancer, because now I feel like I'm going to see them grow up, um, which is just, you know, it's amazing, you know, to, to have that feeling like the patient gives you some of that that credit. Um, I always give the patients the credit. They're the ones who have to commit to doing the tests and following up. But you know, he, you know, they were really willing to to work with me. So,
0: what a great example of how applying the nursing model within the NP role makes a huge difference. Listening to the patient, looking at the whole picture, and applying those principles of preventative care. Great, thank you. Um, I do want to hear more about your role on our legislative committee. We were so blessed that you joined, uh, maybe a year, a couple of years ago, um, with Maria Channel as the chair, and you've been working closely with her. Uh, can you tell me a little more about the legislative committee and what work you're up to? Yeah,
1: I think um, you know it was my role. Really, at, um, to this point, has been sort of um, informal in that I, I really wanted to get involved when the NP modernization act that just uh, got put into legislation um, this past year, was uh, was sort of in the works as part of the budget. Um, and so I, I started off um, going to a few meetings, starting to learn a little bit more about how things work, um, which is just it's a totally different learning curve. And um, really helping uh, NPs to contact their senators and assemblymen and women, um, understanding, you know, why this is important, how how the the state government actually works, and how this is what defines our, you know, scope of practice, um, you know, and I, I think I'm I'm hoping that within the next two years, because that's about how long we have before the the current legislation is up and sunsets uh, back to um, I think the Modernization Act from what is it 2014 that went into effect. Um, I'm I'm hoping that there'll be more opportunities to kind of uh, assist with how we um, influence um, influence the, the legislation the, that we're gonna need to be looking at in the next two years because it's something that really does affect our practice in, in a very big way, whether we're political or not, or whether we care about, think we care about those things or we don't, um, it, it really can um, have very big impacts on our practice in ways that we don't expect until it's too late.
0: You're a wonderful spokesperson for the need for all of us, NPs work together, become active, join the NPA and be you know, involved because you're right, the need to make this NPA Modernization Act more permanent is really the key. Um, and so working with the U of R Medical Center's Soviet Institute for Advanced Practice, I know that you've um, kept uh are the NPA's agenda on the radar of those folks um and i think others need to do the same in their own institutions can you tell us a little more about how you've been able to work with the Soviet Institute and kind of activate uh, your colleagues so i uh, one thing
1: that we met with um, the previous chief advanced practice officer on, um, and I, I think our new uh, chief advanced practice officer will be supportive of, um, is at some point maybe starting a legislative committee with within the um, within the U of R for both um, nurse practitioners and physicians assistants, just to talk about how we can make sure we have an understanding of how our scope of practice is impacted by the government, what changes are happening in legislation on both ends and how maybe that can actually make process changes and workflow changes within the university. So like chart audits or how we sign into eRecord and Mm -hmm. if we have to put somebody's name or not, because, because as the laws change and become more modern, maybe some of these things that we're doing, um, aren't maybe the best place to, to put our time. And maybe there's other places we should, we should be putting our time. Um, I don't think that we need to change anything right now. Um, cause we're still kind of in, in this two year period, but I think that there will be things that, that we, we can change and, and should change because it moves the profession forward, um, and makes the profession accountable to itself, which I think is, um, you know, with, with, with great power comes great responsibility and, and vice versa. With great responsibility also comes uh, more more power to to make a difference within the profession and above all for the patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's smaller ways too that people can help because, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of nurse practitioners that go, well, that's great, but I don't really have time to uh, go to a legislative meeting or work on this type of stuff. But I think everyone has things in their practice that are going on and and we might be able to maybe we don't have the the final decision-making, but we do as a professional have influence over what decisions are made. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a small example would be um, in, in our practice, one thing that was happening was with a, one group of the nurse practitioners, there was a thought on the part of the physicians that their work always needed to kind of be billed secondary to the physician. So they would be doing most of the work and then the physician would come in and bill on top. Um, and, and that if the level is, is, is the same, you do get a little bit more for the physician work. I think it's about 15% more. Mm -hmm. But one thing I was we were able to identify when we looked at this as a group is the nurse practitioners actually tend to get a lot of the patients that have more psychosocial difficulties. Um, they tend to spend more time with the patients. So if they're spending 40 minutes with the patient working through psychosocial problems, that's automatically going to build just based on time at a high level,
0: mm-hmm. even if the medical
1: complexity was a level three, um, for example, which would be a kind of a more straightforward medical problem. Mm-hmm. And um we were able to figure out we were actually in trying to capture this extra 15%. And because that's how it had been done other places, we were actually generating less for the actual practice. And we were, you know, taking resources when that physician could have seen another patient if they were, if it was a very stable patient. Um, And I think that's something that like any Nurse practitioner could bring up, and maybe not every practice is able to change how they do things. But they were very receptive to changing that um, in our -hmm. practice. And certainly, we still have times that physicians might bill for things that nurse practitioners are working on. But it's now more of a a shared decision between the nurse practitioners and the physicians than uh, just it's assumed that this is how it has to be. So I, I always tell people there's there's little ways you can make a difference even if you're not um, you know on a crusade uh, trying to lobby for, for new laws and things. Um, and I think that it, it helps your colleagues, whether they're a physician or nurse practitioner to, to look at you as just that a professional um, mm-hmm. when we hold ourselves uh, accountable that way.
0: That's a beautiful example of um, really working within the system to change it in a way that reflects what's re- actually happening you know who's doing the work. The NP and if it's a higher level of billing um, you know the ultimate end result is you know the uh, money is generated you know the income that the practice needs so if others could possibly think about doing that in their own institutions that would be wonderful um, and following your lead maybe writing up something for the journal at some point I can help you with that um, we something short but um, the journal that the NPA puts out every month actually yeah. it's quarterly now. Um, but- and another
1: thing too, is I always tell people, um, see if your employer will cover your dues for your a membership in the yeah. NPA. Um, because yeah. even if you're not, if, if you're more passively involved, if your employer is willing to cover those dues, which many employers are as, mm-hmm. as a benefit, um, I, I think that that's also a way that You can look for opportunities that feel right because not everybody is going to be interested in the same types of things. Uh, For me, I'm very interested in the legislative piece, but I think other people might be interested in maybe the precepting piece or the, um, you know, just general CME support and education. So there's, there's a lot the MPA has to offer.
0: Yeah, the practice issues is another one, especially as people are starting out their careers and the transition guide from student, we can talk a little more about that, but the student to clinician uh, transition guide is a huge um, help to folks. And then once you're even people who've been in practice for decades, can tap into the practice issues um, consultation that the NPA provides. One thing that the SOVI Institute, and here at Strong, we are one of the largest employers, um, I think the second largest in New York State, um, encourages people to be members of the NPA by accounting for that in their annual evaluation. Um, So that's another thing we want to keep in the mix. so um, to finish up with my last question, um, what does belonging to the NPA mean for you, or NPs in general?
1: Well, I think, you know, for NPs in general, it can mean a lot of things. Not everybody's mm-hmm. the same. Um, and some people might join because they're looking for networking opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're looking for a different job, um, different type of way to use their their nurse practitioner license. Um CME both in-person and virtual opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it really, it's it's been a a great way to understand what's happening politically um, as it relates to our licensure and our ability to practice and what opportunities that will open for nurse practitioners to be able to solve some of the healthcare problems that we have. Um, And I I think the state level is is the most important level. Um, It's something that I teach students is, where does your scope of practice come from? And very few actually think about it. It's not from the president of the United States. Um, it's from your, you know, state assembly people, and it's from your state senators, which many people don't even know who the names of those people mm-hmm. are. But but these these are the individuals that are making decisions and and voting for for legislation that will seriously impact your professional and therefore your personal life. Um, and it's, it's not what um, you know, physicians think of nurse practitioners, although we want to work well with our physician colleagues, it's not what other researchers think, um, or um, even necessarily just other people in the profession, it is from these individuals. And so I, I think the NPA does a very good job of summarizing you know where we're at on a state level what needs to be done, um, what the limitations are of, of the current legislation we have and how changing that legislation, um, in, in a safe and and methodical way will, will help, help us to, uh,
0: expand the, the access for healthcare to all New Yorkers. Well said, um, thank you so much, Kelly, for joining us today and for being the guest on our very first podcast. Um, Please, everyone, join us next time. Um, And signing off today, your host, Jane Tuttle, Region 2 President.
1: Thank you very much for having me.